0: It's just the image that horse racing needs right now—a trainer with two potential Triple Crown horses and two major drug suspensions. We'll unpack that baggage coming up, and then we'll look ahead to the first leg of this topsy-turvy Triple Crown: the Belmont Stakes. On this edition of In the Gate,
1: they're in the gates. They're about to move in. They're and they're off as they move to the top of the stretch. It's a head-on.
0: This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And if you think this podcast is worthy of a superlative, maybe point that review toward the Mensa members at America's Best Racing. They'll need all the brain power they can get.
1: And they're off in the phasing Tipton Fountain of Youth. Dennis's moment broke pretty well today, but on the far outside, there goes Ete Indian from the 11 post to the rail. He was quick out of there and crossed over from the high draw. Dennis's moment is not picking up his feet at all. Dennis's moment is backpedaling. He's now back second last. The Falcon is last with less than a quarter of a mile to go. Ete Indian with enterprising tactics from the outset. And he's still well clear. Ette Indian and Florent drew into the short stretch on top. And it's all about Biancone. It's all about Ete Indian who wins stylishly by six
0: or seven. Ette Indian, as well as Sam F. Davis' winner, Sole Volante, are both trained by Patrick Biancone, who certainly has the credentials to be training potential champions. Back in the early 1980s, he trained back-to-back winners of Europe's most prestigious race, the Arc de Triomphe, in his native France. He also won back-to-back runnings of the Grade 1 Beverly D at Arlington in the mid-2000s, But Patrick Biancone has also endured two stiff suspensions for drug-related offenses. In September of 1999, Biancone was suspended for 10 months in Hong Kong for drug violations involving more than 20 of his horses, according to the Daily Racing Form. Then, in 2007, the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission suspended the trainer for one year after three vials of cobra venom were found in his barn at Keeneland. Cobra venom takes away pain so a horse can try to ignore an injury. To be fair, since returning to training in November of 2008, Biancone has not had any reported medical violations. Nonetheless, can you imagine Biancone walking away with the Belmont Stakes trophy? Can you just picture the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, handing Biancone the trophy for America's most celebrated horse race? It would be reminiscent of Pete Rozelle handing the Super Bowl trophy to Al Davis in 1984 after Davis flouted league rules to move the Raiders from Oakland to Los Angeles. And Biancone's return to prominence comes against the backdrop of a recent indictment by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York against, among others, trainers Jason Service and Jorge Navarro on charges of drugging their horses for the purpose of increasing their performance. One of the horses mentioned in the indictment was the Jason Service-trained Maximum Security, and if you need me to tell you who Maximum Security is, you're listening to the wrong show. We have quite a bit of unpacking to do here, and to help us do it, we have reached out to Bird Travis, a personal injury lawyer and former chair of the licensing committee of the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. Mr. Travis was on the commission when Biancone applied for and then withdrew his application for a training license in that state in 2010. Biancone had been training in Florida and California since 2008. So, welcome, Mr. Travis. Let's first talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room. A one-year suspension is one of the longer ones I can remember in this sport. Of course, Rick Dutrow, the trainer of 2008 Kentucky Derby winner Big Brown, is in the middle of serving a 10-year suspension for multiple violations. But still, one year is pretty long. Take me through the KHRC's decision to arrive at that number.
2: Well, I can't comment on the, uh, because I don't know anything about the uh, charge in Hong Kong. But what happened at Keeneland was that in September, I think I want, to, um, I want to say September 7th, September 5th, 6th or 7th, he had a bad test come back for caffeine and a horse. And he was given 15 days. And not that this happens with some frequency in the horse business, but when you get one bad test, it seems like, you get a number of bad tests back in closeness in time. And during the period of time after September, his his suspension was actually over on the caffeine test September 19th. He was found to possess Cobra venom and a bunch of other items which were uh, not marked. And I believe there were 12 separate violations filed against uh, Mr. Bean Cone, on items found in his barn.
0: So take me through then the KHRC's decision to arrive at a one-year suspension.
2: Well, what he received to begin with was, according to the documents I received from the Racing Commission, and I want to give a caveat in that this has been uh, 13 or 14 years ago, he received five six-month suspensions for various items found and a 30-day arrest, another six-month violation. Then he also received, at the same time, a year violation. So to resolve it, and I noticed that this matter was resolved pretty quick because the initial suspension order was done, I believe, on October 15th, 07 and then the uh, document settling the matter between counsel for the racing commission and counsel for Mr. Bean Cone was signed sealed delivered on the 17th so that it was done quickly and uh, he got one year at that time total suspension could not involve himself in the horse business in any manner so to tell you why, I do not know why, I was uh, at that time chairman of licensing, and once the matter was uh, decided, that is what he got. My review was over, and uh, the lawyers, and I, and I am a lawyer, the lawyers took over the rest of the issue and settled the matter with Mr. Bean Cone's counsel.
0: So then take us through what happened when Mr. Cone applied for and then withdrew his license application in 2010.
2: Well, I am not sure exactly what happened in that circumstance, but there were three options that were applicable to Mr. And Cohn and others. He's not exceptional. When people come before the licensing committee, I guess that he decided that uh, he wanted to finally... Apply, that was in 2010, and I uh, assume your data is accurate. We either reject the application outright, which by rejecting the application means that any other jurisdiction is going to honor that rejection, generally speaking, or we approve it outright with conditions, or when there are issues which are going to be problematic, either... Uh, for Mr. B and Cohn or his counsel or whomever, we give them the opportunity to withdraw because if they take the full hearing and they lose their license, then the risk is too great that other jurisdictions will follow the recommendation of Kentucky, and that's generally honored by all people embracing all jurisdictions. So I'm assuming once again, that when he applied there were certain issues that we began hearing or that were not resolvable with Mr. B. being come and he withdrew his application rather than take the risk of outright rejection.
0: But you don't remember or know what those issues were?
2: I do not know, sir. Because we don't have because if he withdrew the application, he formally took it back and did not
0: apply. Now, the KHRC issued Patrick Biancona a license in 2017. He'd been training for nearly a decade since that uh, suspension ended, and he'd been training in California and in Florida, and apparently has had no medication violation since then. How much in your expertise, in your experience with these kinds of things, would such a thing have mattered when deciding to grant Biancona a license?
2: Well, the settlement agreement called for a certain suspension at a date and time certain. During the period of the, of the suspension, we have no idea and we did not know it at any time that Mr. B. And Cohn uh, violated the terms of the agreement. And the, the reverse of that is that he lived up to the agreement. Now, I'm looking at some documents here where he was licensed in West Virginia he was licensed in New Jersey, he was licensed in California, he was licensed in Maryland, he was licensed in Illinois, Arkansas, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Louisiana, Florida, and maybe Texas after his suspension was over here. Now, my belief is that he probably felt, and I don't know this directly, but He probably didn't have the kind of horse that he wanted to run in Kentucky and that would be an asset to him here. So he didn't come back
0: for a while. We're talking with Burr Travis, a personal injury lawyer and former Kentucky Racing Commissioner here on In The Gate. Now, I know that you're no longer on the commission, but from your past experience, how much more closely do you think the KHRC is watching him compared with a trainer who has not been suspended twice or even once?
2: Well, I don't know. I am still affiliated with the commission at the welfare committee part, but I think they do a pretty good job of watching all trainers. Now, Mr. Bean Cohn, because of prior problems, may get a little extra attention than other people. Maybe he should, maybe he shouldn't. But... I would think on the other hand, he's got one horse in the Belmont and I'm sure he's going to be doing all the right things and following all the P's and Q's required of him because he may think that he's drawing special attention and he may very well be. But on the other hand, you got to realize that almost all of the commission, except the executive director has changed. Since this thing took place back in 2007.
0: What effect do you think that would have on any potential future situation?
2: Well, as long as he lives up to the terms of the agreement, follows the rules, and does the, the right thing, he's probably going to be okay. I don't think he's going to get any special attention over and above the norm, but on the other hand, all the, the horses that running the big races, are generally in special barns with special people watching the horses and to make sure that nothing happens to the horses. And the first race, of course, is at New York. And when he comes to Kentucky, I'm sure that all the people who have horses at that time to enter in the Derby in September uh, will be watched closely, not only for the protection of the but for the protection of the the betters and the other people involved.
0: This sport, as you know, is under far greater scrutiny and has been for the last, say, year and a half than it had been before then. Medication has become a very hot-button issue here. What did you think when you heard the indictments against Jason Service and Jorge Navarro?
2: I personally uh, was very disappointed. I've watched these guys and all the players, people that bet on horses, uh, and then this goes throughout the industry. When guys win an extraordinary amount of races, people wonder naturally, what has this guy got that other people don't have? And I think at one time, Service and or Navarro had winning percentages in the high 30s, and were doing very well. And when guys like, Todd Fletcher and Baffert are in the 20s. You could not say that John Service or Mr. Navarro were that much better training horses, but they had horses make good trainers. And that's what may have happened here. But I was personally very disappointed that the blight to the uh, industry came in such a form. And, And these Federal people probably been investigating this circumstance for many years and had evidence for many years and the net is I don't think the net's closed yet.
0: Well, against that kind of a backdrop, what effect do you think Patrick B. and Cohn's presence in America's most famous races, the Triple Crown, starting with the Belmont, will have on the ongoing conversation about medication's place in this sport?
2: Well, the big discussion is always the LASIKs. The LASIKs has been a heavily discussed topic for many years. And the differences of opinion arise with the circumstance that comes up and the circumstance I use all the time. Let's assume you went to Keeneland and you bought a horse, say, for $250,000, $300,000. And LASIKs was not allowed on a two-year-old. And he runs the first time and he bleeds. Now, what's that horse worth after he bleeds the first time? His value is very questionable if there is a value. Now, the proponents of the LASIKs indicate that it's the horse that needs the LASIKs because racing is a tough sport, tough sport on horses, and it aids them in their breathing and they're able to do things, and I don't mean performance enhancing, but they say that all horses bleed to some degree, it's just a matter of degree. Now, the other people who who are the, the people against Lasix indicate they want a pure breed. But as I understand, 80% of the races run at all racetracks are claiming races. And by the time the horse gets to claiming status, be it three-year-old, four-year-old or up, Then they've got some problems. And medication is going to damage the quantity of horses. They had a, I think Belterra opened there uh, last week. They had two four horse fields, the first two races. And you would think opening day at a racetrack, you would attract many horses. Now, Churchill, everybody goes where the purses are. Churchill's maiden special purses are 81,000 but then they drop down to 2526 for the claiming horses and they, they fill. but I think once the use of um, Wse would, would disappear, horses would not be able to breathe correctly and the, and the bleeding would become more a prominent issue. But there are far better people to talk about that issue than me.
0: But what about the optics of it to the public? when you have, let's let's just say Patrick Cohn's Sole Volante wins the Belmont Stakes, and then the stories you hear afterwards are about what this guy has done in the past, how is that going to look to the public?
2: Well, I guess that at some point, when you comply with all the rules, I don't know when the last ruling was on Mr. Biancon, but I believe... Other than some trivial matter, the last ruling of any consequence was the ruling in Kentucky. And he's minding his business and taking care of business and doing the next right thing. Now, I guess there's always a, seg- a segment of the people that would, would say uh, that certain people are bad for racing. But don't you give everybody a second chance But uh, most people get second chances, and if he's been doing everything right for the last 13 years or so, then does he not deserve to get lucky and get a good horse or horses that have a a shot at this thing? Baffert and Pletcher can't win every race.
0: (laughs) Bird Travis, former Kentucky Racing Commissioner, lawyer in northern Kentucky, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us, sir.
2: My pleasure. Good luck, sir. Thank you.
0: We should also mention that in the decision to suspend Biancone, the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission also suspended his veterinarian, Rodney Scott, for five years. Stay with us here on In the Gate, because when we come back, it's time to talk about a Triple Crown race. Our friend Chris Velika, the bear, joins us to break down the Belmont Stakes. So don't you dare go anywhere. Welcome back to In the Gate, I know it's late June. It doesn't feel right to be talking about a Triple Crown race, but that's exactly what's coming up. And the first leg being the Belmont Stakes. Now, there have been many iterations of the Triple Crown over the last 150 years. The Belmont actually began in 1867 on a track that no longer exists, Jerome Park in the Bronx... And until 1920, the Belmont was actually run clockwise, not counterclockwise. It was run like it would have been in England. Eleven times, the Preakness came before the Kentucky Derby in the batting order. And twice, they actually were run on the same day. It wasn't until 1932 that the Preakness settled into what has been its traditional slot two weeks after the Kentucky Derby. So there have been all kinds of iterations of this Triple Crown, this year it begins with the Belmont Stakes, and not even our Belmont Stakes at a mile and a half, as has traditionally been the case, but a one-turn, mile-and-an-eighth race that's missing quite a few of the cast of characters we thought would be there when May rolled around. So there's a lot to unpack here, and to help us do it, Who better than to welcome back to this show our good friend Chris Felica, the bear from College Game Day. Oh, it is so good to hear your voice, bear. So let's start with this. Tis the law. First big test since winning the Florida Derby back just as the pandemic was settling in. Feels like a hundred years ago. Hasn't really been tested since. How ready do you think he and any of these horses are to run this race?
3: Well, well I, I think that they're ready to run this race, and, and I think that's the, the, the question, and I think that is the, I should say, the answer to the question is that why did they decide to re, re, uh, shorten this race from a mile and a half to a, to a mile and eight? half? I, I think there probably was some major pushback from some trainers on uh, not having a normal prep season, not being able to have normal access and uh, works with their horses. And, and there is a trainer out there at this point in the year that want to have a horse run a mile and a half off of basically no preps. And, and, and I think that's why the race is a mile and an eighth. And, and, and look, I, I think people, the, the general uh, average sports fan out there, maybe who doesn't pay attention to horse racing like you and I do on a, a, day, a day in, day out basis. Uh, you to hear mile and a eighth. Oh, Belmont's not a mile and a half this year on the air. It's a mile and eighth. But I don't think they truly understand that a mile and an eighth at Belmont really does change uh, the dynamic of the race, is making it from that big that two-turn marathon to a one-turn race where you're starting back in the deep shoot and you have a long run up the back stretch and and one, and one, then the one far turn. So it, 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 it's more. there's more to it than just, oh, the race is a, a mile and an eighth this year as opposed to mile and a half.
0: Well, it's a good thing that it's a mile and an eighth because it is, of course, longer than a long sprint, even though it's one turn. But it's really not a sprint because there's not a lot of speed signed on to this race, except maybe tap it to win. So, how do you approach this if you're a rider with such a long, straight run to the only turn of this race?
3: I I, I think, and and what we've seen in the past from Belmont is kind of, from the Belmont Stakes, is typically people just assume that the longer races. Favor these grinders. I mean, are there whether are these closers? Oh, they're closing fast at a shorter distance. So, so that means I'll make up that ground at a mile and a half. And those closers typically don't hit the board. Uh, don't, don't win as much as uh, people think. I mean, Creator One coming from way up the pace, and uh, Victor Gallup came from off the pace. But he, I, but like, I typically closers don't win at a mile and a half. And I'm curious to see if maybe the fact that the race is shortened up to a mile and an eighth, if that maybe favors a little bit more. Of, of a stone cold closer uh, to, to maybe win or it, 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 at the very least pulling, uh, pull up, uh, the, the back end of the exact, back part of the executive. But, but you're right. I think a lot of people were, uh, were zoning in on a topic to win as potential lone speed in the race. And now the fact that he draws the rail, I mean, he, he's, he's pot committed and has to go. And I think the connections of, uh, of four left were, were looking at that and notice, too. And like, you know what? Uh, why don't we try and run an extra two furlongs in the Belmont Stakes and carry our speed a little bit more and just see what happens? Uh, he, he's he's completely outclassed, but I mean he does add to to, to the pace of the race. And then I think uh, a horse like Modernist I think is very very interesting because if you if you look at Modernist past performances, a he runs for a trainer in Mott who uh, doesn't just show up all the time at Triple current races, and when he does. He's usually pretty, I mean, he he hits the board and runs big uh, with prices. He, he won the Risen Star off of that maiden race where he we won Gate to Wire. Uh, Risen Star, he kind of stalked the pace and then took it over. And then the Louisiana Derby, he was dealt uh, a death knell of a, of a drug post-14 all the way on the outside, and he was only beaten four lengths. Um So you, you, you look, I mean, there's a chance that he could kind of work out that grinding type of trip, uh maybe like a like a like a Drosselmeyer did or a country house in the Derby last year, and maybe he could be your, your your crazy long shot that hits the board. But I mean, just the way the race sets up, uh, I, I do think um, it, it's gonna be very hard to uh, to eliminate Tisel, although the one time he did win was in the slop at Churchill and uh he came up a little flat off of that huge champagne. Uh, as a two-year-old at I'd so I, uh, most of my hand- handicapping in the race is getting, Most of my wagers in the race are going to are going to lean towards uh, tis the law of being on top, and I'll probably uh, look towards uh, modernist and maybe a horse like Max Player
0: uh, underneath for a second. Two horses you have not mentioned are two who really interest me here, and those are the Todd Pletcher-trained horses, Doctor Post and Farmington Road. I think Farmington Road would have been a lot more strongly considered. Had this race actually been a mile and a half, his breeding is very long distance, and that this is taking some of his advantage away, but he's still a pretty decent horse. But Dr. Post, only three starts, looked really good at Gulfstream near the beginning of the COVID outbreak winning the unbridled stakes
1: irad still trying to get dr post to respond to urging is all over him with attachment rate top of the lane on the far outside attachment rate from between dr post dr post now up for the lead attachment rate is second let there be no doubt who's best it's dr post an even money winner
0: he hasn't run since then and that brings again the question i started with are any of these horses ready to run this race but dr post Look really, really good, gets A-Rod Ortiz, the best jockey in the country. I can't discount him, even though he's probably a little bit green.
3: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think between the two, Farmington Road and Dr. Post, I would lean towards uh, Dr. Post. Obviously, he did not uh, draw greatly, uh, draw as as well. I mean, he's he's on the far outside, just outside. Of his but maybe that does help him. Does
0: that matter in a one-turn mile in an eighth race?
3: I, 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 I don't. I don't think it does. That's why I'm, I got to say maybe. Maybe it really doesn't matter. It gives him a little bit of a, a target as well, and uh, I don't really know what he's beaten. Uh, attachment rate is a decent horse for Fidel Romans. That was about a million to one, I think, uh, in a maiden race, and then, and then he finally stepped up and, and won the following following race. Um, Farmington Road. I, I'm not sure. I, I kind of thought he was a potential uh, upsetter uh, at Oakland against Nadal, but he never really he, he never really threatened Nadal and King Guillermo in that race. So uh, I'm not as high on, on Farmington Road. He, obviously, uh, they, they they did debut him at Belmont, like most of uh, uh, Todd Fletcher horses do uh, in, in New York, but. Um, I'm not. I'm not as high on farming terms. I think uh, as it is, Doctor Post, because I do. I do think he probably has uh, the, more, the the bigger upside at this point in the uh, in the year.
0: One more big picture question. I thought when this COVID nineteen break hit and the Triple Crown races were rescheduled, that you would have all of the horses that were hurt in February and March rounding into form, and then these late bloomers ready to go as well and this could be the deepest triple crown ever, and then down goes Nadal, and down goes Charlatan, and, and now all of a sudden it's like, who's left? Do you think this is a field worthy of a triple crown race? Uh, it's definitely got some filler in it, that's for sure. Um, but with
3: Solovante, is, uh, is a stakes winner and in, in stakes placed. Tis uh, the law can, can certainly be uh, any kind, and, and maybe i uh, talking about, Dr. Post, maybe he does uh, take a huge step forward and goes on and, has, and, and to, to bigger and better things. Uh, Pneumatic certainly wasn't embarrassed uh, by Maxfield uh, in, his, in his last race at Churchill. So is it a, is it a, a typical triple crown rate? No, but at the same time, how many times do we say that about maybe the uh, where a lot of those horses coming out of the derby skip the skip the, uh, the practice and, and point to the Belmont or they just don't run in another triple crown race and, and what you get in the in, in the practice are a couple of local horses or uh, maybe some of those second and third tier horses that are just looking to run and know that a mile and a half typically is not going to be what they want. So, so while obviously it's not a uh, a race that we would typically assume would be the quality of a Belmont or triple crown race, I think right now in this Day and age, you
0: have a
3: special horse in, in terms law. It's something that
0: certainly both watching. And even of those who were not hurt, and we mentioned Maxfield is also hurt, those who would be potential candidates for this race ran two weeks ago in the Santa Anita Derby, Honor AP and Authentic, so they are not here either, which shows, in case anybody didn't realize it, which is the biggest of the three Triple Crown races they're waiting for September, but nonetheless, it is great to have sports to talk about and no better to talk about with you. So thank you so much, Chris Felica. It's good to have racing back.
3: Yeah, y- yes, it is, and I, and I look forward to, uh, to to following this uh, odd Triple crown journey and, uh, and, and some of these other races throughout the summer and see where we head. And uh, and, and if my uh, initial impression at the start of the year that Honor AP was going to be the Derby winner, uh, if that actually comes to fruition, which uh, uh, Labor Day weekend hits.
0: Our thanks once again to the Bear, Chris Folika and to Bird, Travis. We're certainly in the part of the year when events we love so much aren't happening because of the scourge of COVID-19. A family party, a country fair, or maybe an annual trip, it can feel like you've taken a hard right to the spleen. After having gone to Royal Ascot two short years ago, I watched each day last year as if I was there. The top hats, fascinators, champagne glasses, and royal carriages were beyond the fanciest dream that I would dare. So while, of course, I understand the closed-door policy, and I'm glad to see the races run at all, it sure seems strange to see no royal procession to start the day, no morning suits, curtsies, or parasols. We each have ways of measuring what we've lost in 2020, but we expect what we do to remain for several years more— Who knows how many more times Her Majesty will get to Ascot, since for heaven's sake, the Queen is 94. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And if you want to throw some love our way, maybe point that review towards the geniuses at America's Best Racing, who, as we know, need all the brainpower they can get. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In the Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope you're safe and healthy as you listen to this, and we'll see you next time.